Welcome to Be The Church Podcast with your hosts, Chad and Melissa McBean, where we discuss a variety of topics relative to the active Christian life as we work to submit our lives to become more like Jesus each day. Today we share one of our bonus series episodes from our show, Latent Treasures. These shows are filled with incredible guests to inspire you and encourage you throughout the week. Inspired by a quote from C.S. Lewis, this show seeks to highlight people who live their faith out in ways that are somewhat discreet. But make no mistake, the impact that they are making in the lives of those they touch is anything but latent or discreet. Our hope is that this series will engage you, intrigue you, challenge you, grow you, and gives you a chance to interact with us in your own journey of life in a way that may ultimately help draw you nearer to the God who created you. If you enjoyed this show, please like it, share it, and even subscribe to it so you can be alerted to future episodes when they're released. Today we revisit another episode of Latent Treasures. Our guest, Talitha Phillips, has an incredible story to share. It's a story of God's ability to redeem in beautiful ways. Her otherwise accomplished life encountered what could have been a devastating life event, but it was turned around and used to bless so many others, and in fact, she's still, decades later, fully immersed in continuing this purpose. Talitha is the CEO of Claris Health. As the organization's name suggests, they work to give their patients clarity regarding critical health matters. Their holistic approach to healthcare seeks to walk their clients through their entire journey rather than providing a singular service at one point in time. And this goal is a major reason why they're seeing so much success with those who they serve. Talitha has been called the heartbeat of Claris Health and after over 19 years of loyal leadership, it's not hard to understand why despite many highs and lows, she's led the organization through massive growth and has vastly expanded its reach. While she studied organizational communication at Pepperdine, she most certainly didn't expect to end up working with Clara's health, and we think that you'll discover that the way her path unfolded is both encouraging and inspiring. While we usually like to focus on the life story of our guests, which we will certainly do in this interview, we also discovered that her organization, Clara's Health, is worthy of highlighting for you as well, and we devote a fair amount of time doing that as well as discussing the realities of the needs of so many people that they serve, just in case you, or anyone you know, might benefit from knowing organizations like Claris Health are out there to help. We hope you enjoy part one of this amazing woman's conversation with us. And remember, subscribe and like this show if you want to hear part two or more stories like this. And don't be afraid to reach out and let us know what you think about our shows on our website, bethechurch.org. There you can also find more show notes about this interview, including ways in which you can reach Claris or Talitha. Today we have the honor of getting an opportunity to chat with Talitha Phillips of Claris Health. And uh, very looking forward to hearing your whole story because so much of it I'm not even aware of, but I know a lot of what you've been doing with Claris and it's a phenomenal organization serving those in need in the Los Angeles area. And uh, well, one, welcome to our podcast. Thank you. Great to be here. Yeah, thank you. Um, Claris Health in general, let's just kind of set a background for our listeners. Claris Health is an organization that began, what's probably what, 18? How 
long ago? 18 years ago? 19? Uh, no. So technically they began about 44 years ago. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So, but I've been with the organization for 19 years in May and there've been a lot of changes in the past, you know, a couple of decades, but they are um, quite a bit older than that. Yeah. I, okay. So I knew they were around before you got involved, but I didn't know they were that, they were around that long before you got involved. I definitely want to hear about that. Um, but, and now you are their CEO. Mm -hmm. Yes. And um, tell us a little bit about it, again, background-wise, what Claris does for the community. Yeah. So, um, you know, originally, and maybe this is helpful to give a little bit of background. So Claris from the beginning has really worked with primarily pregnant women or women who think they might be pregnant. And initially it was providing, you know, counseling and support services, largely for those who are making decisions about a pregnancy. And, um, and then supporting them, you know, basic needs after a baby is born. Um, and then over the last couple of decades, what we've discovered, and one of the things that's been a passion of mine is just realizing that all of these decisions, they're sort of a before, during, and an after. And on the before side, you know, there's this incredible opportunity on the prevention side and working with individuals and hoping that they don't ever, you know, need services in this sort of moment of I'm pregnant and I don't know what to do. And so there's like that before care. There's also a lot of preventative health care services. And then there's the during, there's that moment of I might think I might be pregnant or I might have an STD or I know that I'm pregnant and I don't have insurance insurance and I need help. So there's that and there's the after. So regardless of what decision a woman makes or a couple makes, they're, um, they need support and care afterwards. And so the word clearest means clarity. And that's really what we're all about is we're bringing clarity to what can often feel like confusing situations. And then, you know, offering that clarity and that care before, during, and after. And, and specifically on the after, just looking at regardless of the choice that she makes, there is, they all will change her life in a way. And so just being willing to hold somebody's hand through that and, and not just for a moment, but really in the months and the years that follow that decision. Yeah. That's a really amazing thing and, um, overlooked. And, you know, um, I think just as an outsider looking in, I think there's a tendency to kind of put um, different objectives and or um, people's philosophies in a box one way or another, really. But, you know, that's not how life really works, right? Like you said, um, and I can only imagine the stories that have come that you've experienced that are, you know, people's own philosophies changing as they gain clarity uh, one way or the other, right? In, in either direction. Um, and it's amazing to see that there's an organization that can come beside a person and walk with them through a lot of that. So what were your original, I, I believe you got exposure to them while you were still in college. Is that correct? 
Yeah, definitely. Um, so I have sort of a unique journey of how how I got to Claris. And I should, I, what I forgot to say is along the, you know, the years of the progression, we went from this counseling to then becoming a licensed medical clinic. So now we actually offer um, medical services. So everything from health screenings to also just prenatal care and, and other, you know, medical services. So I wanted to add that. Yeah, because you're a much larger or wider reach than just, um, you know, the pre or, or during or post-pregnancy types of, of care. Yeah. And I, and I think one of the, you know, to hit on the point that you said is when you're in relationship with people and when your model is very relational and comprehensive, you realize that there are these unique stories, but there's also these very unique needs. And so to build this sort of one size fits all model just doesn't work. And so I think what we realized is you know, we had a clinic on the west side of Los Angeles, and then we opened a clinic in South LA, and we realized while the services are the same, how you offer those services often changes because the needs in the community are different. And then we launched a mobile clinic, and we started going into all these other, you know, vulnerable communities in the city and realized, oh my gosh, the needs are so much bigger than we ever even realized. And so that has sort of helped broaden the services without losing that target, you know, it's sort of like, yes, we, we still care for this target population, but then there's all these, we can't forget that, you know, our city has an incredibly large population of people experiencing homelessness and the foster care industry and human trafficking. And those are all really important things that intersect the work that we do. And so to say, well, we only focus on this isn't serving our community well. So that has um, has broadened us. But yeah. my story, <laughs> how I found out about it. Um, I, yeah, I was a Pepperdine student. Um, I was 19. Um, I grew up in a very Christian home. My parents were actually missionaries. The oldest daughter, actually only daughter, oldest child. And I came to Pepperdine on a scholarship. And um, the summer after my freshman year, I went home to Oklahoma where my family is and I found out that I was pregnant. And, you know, they always you know, say like, you, like, how did this happen and why me? And I mean, it's true, you really do. I mean, I know that sounds like so bad, but you do. And I just, you know, the walls of my world just came crashing down and just feeling like um, just panicked and trapped. and alone and um my boyfriend at the time you know we like barely talked to anyone and it was just this i was getting ready to do a semester overseas and just out of panic made this decision of we need to make this go away and i remember thinking you know i i know better i don't want to do this like if you had asked me what do i want to do i would never have chosen that but it was like i'm going to make this decision i'm terrified to go to my parents and and admit terrified to go to the church um and then in the process of making that decision i remember saying i'm we'll do this and then i will spend the rest of my life hating myself and like so such a conscious decision um, I remember in the back of my mind thinking, I know this is so so hard to admit, but I remember thinking, I know God's going to try to forgive me and I will just reject that because I know what I'm doing. And so imagine, you know, going through that and then I spent a good couple years trying to destroy my life and make myself, 
you know, punish myself for that decision. Um, I resorted, it was interesting, my boyfriend at the time resorted to drugs and alcohol and other sort of numbing, you know, coping mechanisms. And I was like, well, I did this so I could graduate. So I need to graduate the top of my class. And I need to try to make sense of all of this. I became, you know, it's very compulsive behaviors and our relationship became incredibly abusive. Um, and, but I stayed cause I really felt like that was my, my worth. And my senior year at Pepperdine, I heard about this little counseling center and that they offered this, you know, pregnancy loss support group. And, you know, it took forever to gain up, gain the courage to call. And I remember calling and just immediately this woman, you know, her name was Debbie and it was just like everything in the world stopped. And I was the only thing that mattered. And she just listened and she said, you know, you're not alone. And just hearing those words, um, I, I think in my head, I was the only girl at Pepperdine that had been through this. I was the only Christian girl that had done this. And I, and so I had just put myself in this box and, um, and then finally got the courage to go. She invited me to show up. And I remember sitting in a room and thinking, oh my gosh, there's other people here, which was so powerful to look somebody else in the eye. And we all had very unique stories, but for the next 10 weeks, we journeyed together through this. And it was, you know, like peeling the first layer of an onion. You know, it wasn't, didn't get to the core, but gosh, it changed my life in a lot of ways. And, um, I, you know, finished the group and thought this is great. And that, thank you so much. And I loved it. And then I thought I'd go on with my life and I graduated college and, um, the director at the time had just had her second baby and she was leaving the organization. So for about almost a year, they didn't have anyone in the role. And I kept running into these women and they kept saying for some crazy reason, they were like, we really feel like you're supposed to be the new director. And it's like, there's no way. Um, I went to Pepperdine, I have loans and I have, my dad wants me to be a lawyer and all these things. And so I ran from this position for many, many, many months. And then the craziest story, I got a call from Chuck Norris's family, the actor, and he and his wife were having twins and they wanted a night nurse to help with the twins after they were born. And I knew the family, um, loosely knew the family from my ex-boyfriend. And they said, you know, you should call Talitha. She has incredible experience and she's so good at getting babies to sleep. And then it's somebody that you can trust. And so the only way I could work that many nights was if I took a part-time day job, which Claris was this part-time day job. So, and before to back up when this woman, Susan, I saw her somewhere and she said, you know, she said, I really think you should be the director. Have you prayed about this? And it was that moment I've ever had this conviction where I was like, of course I haven't prayed about this. I don't need to pray about this. I know that I'm not supposed to work there. And she said something to the effect of maybe you should just try praying about it. And, um, I did, but it was more of uh, the prayer of, fine, if you really want me to work at that place, you need to make it abundantly clear. And that's exactly what happened. And so I came kicking and screaming. It was a surrendering process. Um, The organization was so small. I think our budget at the time was like 90,000 and they were about to close their doors 
um, always like we didn't know if we would have enough funding to stay open. And so it's pretty incredible to fast forward, you know, that was 19 years ago and to see where we are now. It's pretty. Wow. Well, one, thank you for sharing that. I, I, I know it probably never super comfortable, <laughs> you yeah. know, to share the whole story over again. Um, a few things stood out though. Um, obviously I could never be in your shoes. Um, but it reminded me of how many people I know, and this includes myself, that um, you know had made some certain decisions in their relationships that may have put ourselves in the same position where now we're faced with this different outcome potentially. You know, yeah. if you know if the woman had gotten pregnant, what do you do, right? And um, the first thought is how important it is for none of us to ever jump to conclusions, right? Because if, if you've never been in those shoes, you have no idea how it might feel to be in those shoes. Um, and as you were talking about, you know, all your you know, kind of self targeting that you did as, you know, inner penance or whatever, right? Like I, you know, here's, here's my punishment for how I feel or how I, the decision I feel I need to make. I hope people are can stop and pause and and digest that because I don't I don't know that we often do enough pause and reflect and and put ourselves as best as we can in that decision shoe and and try and have a deeper understanding um so I'm curious as you went through that 10 week 10 weeks or 10 months 10 weeks 10 weeks yeah. It's, it sounds like you found the people there that were just could pour into that, whether it was their own experience or somebody very, very close to them, that they had truly felt and digested that emotion that, or was it only because, you, tell me about that, because I don't know, I don't want to <laughs> assume anything. Was it the, the people who had had the same experience that were part of the group, or was it the leadership that walked you through it all, or was it the combination? You know, I think it, it was a combination of, the people, because for the first time I heard people say things that I thought I was the only one in the world. I was the only one that thought those things or that felt that way. And so then you suddenly realize I'm not the only one that felt that way. And I mean, an example would be, um, I, I, I was like, I'll never have children. Like that was my one chance. I'm sure I'll never be able to have a baby. And then to hear somebody else say, you know, I struggle with that, or um, I hated my birthday. I discovered this, and so I've I've gone through the group several other times. But I remember saying, I just always hate I hate my birthday. And somebody in the group was like, Why do you hate your birthday? Have you always hated your birthday? Well, no, I haven't always hated my birthday. Well, when did you first hate your birthday? Oh, it. I had the abortion five days before my birthday. And so to connect those dots to say, oh, I didn't, I would have never on my own realized. I just thought, well, I hate my birthday and I never want to celebrate. Well, now I realized, oh, I connected those dots. Um, the other thing that was very helpful is that the group walks through the grief cycle. And so each week we would look into a different um, aspect of the grief cycle. And realizing that a lot of women and a lot of men who experience anything traumatic in life, you know, you go through this, the cycle and it's, 
you know, it can be denial, relief, denial, anger, depression, acceptance, forgiveness, and healing. And so unpacking a lot of that and realizing, did I, what, did I find relief? Did I in any way go into denial? Um, depression. I remember this chapter on depression. And one of the things that said the definition of depression is eyes turned inward and how powerful that was that, you know, all the focus suddenly there isn't a world around us, right? It goes inward. And how do you, so that's practical tools. And then part of the group was a Bible study. So it's also looking at what does the Bible say about these things? And there's so much hope in this. And so I think all of that in the, the leadership was great, but it was more of a facilitation, which was nice. So it's you processing and them guiding. And all of that was you get to then you get to the end and it's this, you know, acceptance. And how do we talk about it's a like when I lead the group now, I always say it's a there's not a start and an end. It's a it's like a circle. So the next time you feel depressed, you may not get stuck there because now you have some tools, but it, you don't arrive at acceptance. And then you never think about this again. <laughs> you right. know, you kind of, you know, it's a cycle. This episode is sponsored by Royal CFO Services. Would you prefer to have the peace of mind that accounting experts and financial analysts are managing and maintaining your business's financials? Would you prefer to give the hours you spend on accounting back to your family and friends while resting confidently that your business finances are in excellent care? Royal CFO Services can allow you to do just that. By outsourcing your accounting and finance needs, you can improve your work-life balance, discover when to make your next big move to grow your business, and more. Royal specializes in businesses in the construction and real estate industry, agricultural industry, and the nonprofit sector. Visit them today at royalcfoservices.com to book a free consultation. Um, yeah. But it's a hopeful cycle, not, you know, we want to get to where it's a, it's a scar. I'll always have a scar from that experience. Like I always, but it's not a gashing, gaping, bleeding wound. Yeah. Just my battle wounds of this is where I've been and it's not the only scar I carry, it's a big one, you know. Yeah. So did you, now I know you're a, a trained doula. Um, was that what, I don't think they have doula at Pepperdine. <laughs> what would, what did you go to college for? You said you were thought about law school. Was that what you went yeah. to Pepperdine for? No, I went to school for um, organizational communication was okay. my major. And was, wanted to go into consulting, like business consulting or communication consulting. So, yeah, okay. I do use, I mean, it's interesting because management is a part of ORCOM. And so I do use some of that now, but this was not my goal. And, and telling my story was not my goal, you know, like this becoming my passion and platform was not, not where I thought I was headed. But I think that's what's so great about the whole journey that we have in life is that God often takes the thing that you you want to bury and then says, actually, no, that's going to be the thing that I call you to expose. Yeah. And other people may need to know that because it's shame that keeps us quiet. Yeah. You know, it really is shame and fear. And what a testament to how that 10 week experience impacted you, right? I mean, so much so that you could see yourself pursuing 
being that help to other people. Like, you know, even though you ran from it for months and months and months <laughs> because you had, you know, Pepperdine loans to repay. <laughs> but, um, I mean, that definitely says a lot about how impactful that experience was to, to be part of your healing journey, to, for you to see the value. And like you said, for God to use that in a way that um, you're uniquely, you know, positioned to, to be effective for other people in that same, you know, letting that passion kind of build, even though that, like you said, it was such a scar. Mm -hmm. That's it. That's sorry. I'm just processing the whole trying to put, you know, what that would be like. So it was months and months after, um, they had started pursuing you. Um, and so when you had started doing the night, like night nanny night, uh, nurse that you decided to do both. Yeah, so I, I um, kind of all at the same time, I left the company I was at, took the job at what is now Claris. I started working for the Norrises as a night nurse, and I trained to become a labor doula at the time. So I kind of did it all at once. And then I, you know, I still to this day do a lot of the doula stuff. So I've kind of always done both. And I mean, it is interesting how my world is all, it all sort of fits together. I mean, at the time it was like, oh, I do this at night and then I do this during the day. And then you quickly realize like, oh my gosh, so many of our, our clients and patients end up needing childbirth classes and doula support. And so it's become, you know, a really sweet thing to sort of have that passion. And I think having the personal story, I mean, I would have never thought of this when I started working here, but it helped because when I walked into Claris, I mean, I remember on my first day looking around and thinking, I probably would never have walked in here when I was pregnant. Like I wouldn't have maybe felt super safe here or um, like, do we have the right things to offer people in that, you know? And so, you know, I was this 23 year old kid. I mean, I really had no idea what I was doing. They handed me the keys and I remember thinking like, I think I cried on my first day and thought, what have I done? And, but the, good thing about it is I was so naive and young that I was just a sponge. And so I remember soaking everything in and then thinking, oh, if that would work in LA, let's maybe try this or let's try that. Or we moved, we quickly moved facilities and we were able to sort of build an organization. And then we quickly realized, um, gosh, this really isn't just a women's issue. And so we want, we want their partners to come with them and feel safe enough to walk in and not see you know, all, I don't know, stencils on the wall or whatever, right? Like there should be a sports illustrated or something for guys to, you know, do in the waiting room. And this is the old days when there were stencils. So, you know, it was kind of a cool thing how the model was really birthed out of us looking at our, our audience and saying, what do you need? Like, how can we help you and letting them really drive the services that we offer and the community partnerships and connections. And so I think that's been one of the sweetest things is that we've always had this model of, you know, listening to the feedback from those who access the services yeah. and then really helping them process because they have to live their life. You know, we're not raising their children. We're not adopting their children. You know, we're not, you know, sitting at abortion 
clinics if they choose that. And so it's like when they leave the doors, they need to feel empowered and equipped and then we'll hold their hand, but they still have to live their life. And so it's like, how can we help you without, um, you know, living your life for you? Yeah. You know? So for those, including partially myself, because my vision is probably this narrow, what exactly are doula services? What is that? What's the range of the, what that does? Yes. So a, a doula, there's a labor doula, and then there's like a postpartum doula. I'm actually trained as both, but most doulas are, are typically one or the other. So a labor doula is you help a family. Um, it usually includes like some childbirth education. You get to know each other when, when she's pregnant, and then you go through the whole delivery with them. So you're just an okay. advocate. You're not a medical person. You're there to help with relaxation techniques and just helping her get through the labor. And then, you know, afterwards, like basic feeding and, and basic baby things. And then the postpartum doulas come in after the baby's born and help with caring for the baby. Or my specialty has always been sleep, like sleep training and helping getting babies on, you know, a good schedule. And, um, but other doulas, postpartum doulas are, you know, their specialty might be feeding or, or just caring for the mom and, yeah. and the baby. I can count hundreds of families who missed your specialty, <laughs> who <laughs> never taught their children how to sleep right, who might be seven <laughs> years old now and still have the horrible sleep habits. Um, boy, that's... People, I hear that a lot. <laughs> if you're struggling with your child and they're not on a regular sleep pattern, please look into a postpartum <laughs> sleep doula. Wow. I didn't, I would have been recommending that a long time ago had I known that existed. I know so many people in that boat. Like, what are you doing to your kid? Um, wow. Okay. Sorry. That was partly informational just for myself, but that's, that's helpful to know. And I'm sure there's other, other listeners who hopefully have the same question. I'm not the only idiot in the room, but, um, where was I going to go with that? Um, And was that inspired primarily because the Norrises wanted you to or encouraged you to, or is that was something you just thought I'd like to know? No, I have a, I had a friend who ended up working. So we met actually in the, the support group at Claris, which I totally forgot about this, but I met this girl in the group and she um, was married and ended up getting pregnant, I think right after the group and asked if I would go with her when she had the baby, just as support, you know, she was like, you're, I think, you know, you're calming. A lot of people have been like, your voice is calming and would you be there? So I went with her to St. John's hospital and she had the baby and a nurse at the hospital in the middle of the delivery, it was a very difficult delivery. A nurse said, you should be a doula. And I was like you, I had never heard of it. I was like, what is a doula? She said, oh, you'd be really good at it. You would help, you help women get through labor. And so I went home and Googled it. And sure enough, I was like, Oh, sure. I'll go to the training. It's like three days. And, you know, so I, um, I trained in 2000, 2001, um, not really knowing what it was, but curious enough. And, um, here we are. Wow. That's really cool. I love hearing, you know, just, I think oftentimes the world gives us this script of, here's how you run your life, right? You work hard in school and study and you discover something you're interested in and you pursue it and you go to college and you pursue it. And it's this, you know, nice straight line 
approach to our goals and to hear so many people and i love sharing it on on podcasts to hear that i was this was never on my radar it wasn't anything intentional right life diverted there was detours all over the place or you know how that even came to be right had nothing to do with the 10 weeks had nothing to do with the norises it was something entirely separate but again god fit that puzzle piece in and what a, a perfect fit that's really yeah. cool. Um, so you began, you switched um, locations, and you started to quickly realize that to to cater your services or design the organization around what you were seeing out of the people coming through the door was the best way to go. How long did that take to start to transition? How many people were on the team at that time? Were, it sounds like you were small enough to pivot pretty quickly. Was there any resistance to it? Any of this? That's not how we've done it for the last 23 years. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, I was really blessed. I've had a board at the time that was really encouraging and, and trusting of me. I mean, we had a real good relationship. When I started, it was two of us on staff part-time and, you know, pretty quickly, I think within a year, when we started pursuing the medical license and moved, we grew to maybe four or five. Um, even today, we have, you know, technically three different physical buildings and a mobile clinic, and we still only have about 18 people on staff. So we're big, but we're still used to, you know, kind of running a, a smaller ship and, you know, doing a lot of people wearing a lot of hats. But there, you know, there had, there was resistance at times. I mean, I think everything was sort of slow and incremental. When we opened our first satellite clinic, we really felt like we needed to go into a community where there was a lot of, uh, a lot of need, but that we shouldn't be driving it, that we needed to partner with somebody that had a heart for that community. And it led us to um, an area called the Crenshaw district. And largely because we were in relationship with this incredible woman who had a heart for the community and she knew the need in the community. And then we went from there, we moved it to Inglewood because there was a hospital that really wanted to expand some of their services to what we offered. So we moved there and then we just this week moved to the community of Linwood which is between sort of by Compton and Watts and an area that LA has identified as having incredible need. And it's a lot of the need in the women we see, like I think it's 23% of women don't receive prenatal care in their first trimester and infant and maternal mortality rates are incredibly high in that community and STD rates. And so it's looking at, okay, where is the need and where, are, how can we address that? And not doing it on our own, but we now have about 230 community partners that we work with. So if somebody comes in and they need housing, we connect them to somebody or, but it's not a, here's your sheet of referrals. It's a warm, you know, my friend so-and-so runs this and we're going to give them a call for you. Or we think somebody in our lobby is likely in a trafficking situation. And so we're going to call our contact here and they, I mean, we had a case where the person didn't speak English. And so we got information sent over in another language 
that we could have her read. And sure enough, I mean, we intercepted a potentially very dangerous situation. So realizing like none of us are called to do it all. Yeah. We need to do it in partnership with each other. Um, and so that, you know, very much, I think was built into the fabric of us saying, we don't really know everything we're doing. We just know that we're supposed to be doing something and then sort of following that trail. Yeah. The net always goes far wider than we ever envisioned early on, especially, um, tell, tell me about how you guys interact, whether it be with other community partners and, or like you said, there's a hospital there, even though it might be a private hospital, but the public versus private, not versus, but the public and private inter intermingling and interaction with each other, um, how you guys inter interact with the county or the you know Department of Health. Um, I'm completely clueless on how those interact on a healthcare service level because obviously there, you know, there's so many layers to it. How does that get coordinated? Yeah, so that's that's a big question. So let me try to unpack. So um, we we're a licensed community care clinic. So we actually have our license from the state. So the health department, in a sense, gives us the license to operate. Um, we have an OBGYN that sort of oversees all of our facilities. But the intersection, it's interesting. Some you know, a clinic like ours could never really interact with anyone else if they chose not to. Um, but for us, I think we've realized, especially in a city like Los Angeles, where there's high need and there's also just a difficulty navigating what you need to get the services you need. So, so for example, if somebody finds out they're pregnant and then chooses to parent and then needs to seek care, it's incredibly difficult in Los Angeles, depending on what your situation is. So if you are on Medi-Cal, can be incredibly difficult because you might live in downtown LA and then they assign you a primary care, you know, person for your pregnancy in Long Beach. Or if you don't have insurance, there's programs you can sign up for, but it's difficult navigating those. And so it's almost the advocacy part is so important. And there's some things we can advocate for, there's others that we can't. And so having a partnership, so our partners are, you know, some of them are private like us, some of them are government partners, you know, a lot of social service agencies and realizing, you know, you need food and here's somebody that can help or, um, you know, specialty services. But it's, mo it's interesting. So right now in the midst of this COVID season, there's a just the it's become even more important the difference or or the ability of just seeing the difference between public and private and so a lot of the government agencies have had to shut down and they've been sort of forced to close their doors or to pivot and not offer direct services and we haven't had to do that our funding also isn't dependent upon the government we're entirely privately funded so we're able to do things often quicker than another organization because we're small and we're privately funded. Um, one example, I love how you asked with the county. So we are on several county committees um, for infant and maternal mortality. I'm on a doula committee that um, is for specifically the African-American community who's the hardest. I mean, the health disparities in the African-American community are just, I'm sure you've heard, just incredibly tragic numbers of infant and maternal mortality. Well, one of the things that they've proven to help with those numbers and better birth outcomes 
are is something called um, group-based prenatal care. So it's prenatal care that you receive in a group. So instead of like you walking in and you get, you know, what, six minutes with your doctor, um, you're in a group setting. So there's peer learning, um, the sessions with the provider, which usually it's an, a certified nurse midwife, they're about an hour to an hour and a half. So you're getting education, you're getting community, you're getting relationship, you're getting peer learning, and you're getting medical care. And you're being taught things, you know, to take your own blood pressure and things to look out for. So we knew that that was an answer to this. And there were a lot of people that realized that, but we were able to get that up and running really quickly versus several other organizations that are dependent upon government funding. It's just taking, well, it's taking much longer. Yeah. So that's been one of the, the benefits, but you know, so they're now referring to us and we're referring. So if somebody's high risk and we have to transfer them out of our program, we can send them to one of these other well-established organizations. And, and we, so that's an example of, we just have to work together and to do that, but there's some benefits to being smaller and, and private. Yeah. And I'm assuming there's probably some hybrid groups where they're partly privately funded and partly some of their revenue comes from government programs. Definitely. Yeah, absolutely. We hope you enjoyed part one of our interview with Talitha Phillips. I hope you gathered as much value from those experiences she shared with us so far as I have. It's amazing what can happen when we let God lead our lives and allow it to work through our scars for the benefit of others. Don't forget to join us again next time for part two of this interview, which will conclude our talk with her. Until then, peace to you, and we continue to pray. Maranatha Father, 